Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. So this morning I'm doing the next portion of, let me just get the right book, Ephesians. But the key verse that we're going to look at is, is the one where it says, you need to learn Jesus. So I thought my little feedback that I'll give about our trip will be in, in line with that, if that's okay. So I'm giving away the title that I'm supposed to build up to later and then launch with much fanfare. I'm giving it away. But because I thought I'll just, today I want to give a little bit of feedback about our trip to India. And then next week, Molise and Levi will give a little bit of feedback with photos. Um, I'm not the photo taker. I've started taking selfies, but only because Stoffel challenged me and I beat him. Boom. But anyway, what, I, what did I learn? How did I learn Jesus in Mumbai? We, we were on a whirlwind tour. It was, it was crazy. They booked our schedule like two days in a place and then to the next one. One of the nights we drove for four and a half to five hours. And I'm so glad it was evening and I could sleep. Because, the, guys, just be grateful for our roads and our traffic. I... I We've got a, a video that we'll show you guys, but just be grateful. My gosh. But in Mumbai, we arrive, and they don't allow people to go into the airport like in South Africa where you can just walk in. It's, it's all controlled by the military. They, people are not allowed to go in because the, the airports are air-conditioned, and people will just live there. So you come out to masses of people, and you, you hope they, they're going to notice you. Fortunately, we are white, so they did. Um, but they then took us to Deravi, which is the second largest slum. Now, a slum would be our type of township in the world. We in South Africa, who told me this morning, what's our population? Justin, Catherine, please help me out again. 70 million. 55. They've got 13 million people just in the slum. And that was in 2016. I don't think it's 13 anymore. I think it's m much, many. I don't know which one to use because I don't know how you'll count them, but you'll go with much more. <coughs> and it, it was, um, the, the Rajas told us it's going to be a sensory overload, and it was. I found out things about myself that I didn't want to admit. I'm embarrassed to say I don't like the smell of rotting food. But I was confronted by that. I, I learned Jesus there. Um, in how I hold on to my comforts. I'm embarrassed to say I love comfort. It's, <laughs> there, there is no comfort in Deravi. There is survival. There is nothing else. And we got to pray with some of the armies there. And I bent over, the age of 80 and something, still washing their dishes on the floor and rolling out chapatis so that we can have fresh chapatis and puris in the morning, which is little breadies that they made for us. On their haunches at the age of 80. It's, I, I don't think we know how much we have to be grateful for. So in Mumbai, I learned Jesus by learning and being confronted with my comforts. Then we went on the five hours later to Pune. Now, Pune is a far less religious place, a bit more commercial, I would say. And um, I felt comfortable there. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had a bedroom. It was fantastic. Um, 
They are the cleanest nation in, in the country or the cleanest state in the nation of India. Three years in a row, they got the award. <sighs> Yo, they have low standards. <coughs> Yo. But there I realized that I learned Jesus that the, his culture permeates and, and influences. Because there, there's slums. That's the place where they discard the little girls because they are worthless to them. They don't, they just let the little girls, I've got four daughters. My daughters in that slum would have no worth and no future. But the culture that the people we visited brought into that community is that they will have worth because of Jesus Christ. I was confronted with his culture that is more pervasive than ours. It's, we, we can't say that it's our culture if it's not his kingdom culture. We can't. We can never, ever. I can never do that again. Um, and also a massive population. And they make a difference to 40 kids only. And I found myself asking, well, what's the use? 40 children out of 1.3 billion people. And um, you know that story that circulated on email about the one starfish that the little girl throws in, and she says, why you think you make a difference? Well, to that starfish, I made a difference. But they've taken in um, 20 girls and four boys that they hire or they rent a house for at massive cost to themselves. It's, um, I learned that God's culture there is the most important. My suru we went to, And it's a place where every traffic circle has a temple. It's nuts. You can laugh because I laughed, Trevor, and I did. There's a temple for every God in every traffic circle. You just need to watch out because people are walking to go and offer something to this. Whoever the God is and the yoga God and the, the yeah, it was. But what I learned there is that. Jesus sets free from oppression. There you can see how he has taken people that worship dead gods and he has translated them into light. When those people can say, I, I pray that God will tear down those temples because it's just a stronghold in our, in our city. I learned in my suru that God's word is relevant in any language. I got to preach in that church and in the, the, the language is called Canada, which is so confusing because it's not English at all, even though it's called Canada. I found myself baffled by that. But I, I preached with the translator, and they accepted the word. They received the word. No matter what language, God's word stands. <laughs> we, I think we're on a good on a good path if we pursue his word. And then our last stint was in Bangalore. And it's so funny, they, they joke about it because they've changed every city's name to a, a Hindu pronunciation. So Bangalore is Bangaluru. Mysore is Mysuru. Bombay is Mumbai. And um, Pune is Puna, which has happened to be our grandpa's name. But anyway, but if they say that if you pronounce it like that, you get discount in the city. And they actually give you a discount when you negotiate it. It's quite strange. 
But in Bangalore, I learned that wisdom of Christ has no gender and has no age. I was overwhelmed. There we were with a couple that has traveled with Jesus in a, in a big work for 40, 50 years. And they said, won't you speak into our lives and teach us something? <laughs> How do we say something to people that have gone before and is married for 50 years? What do we have to give to them? And they just said, age has no wisdom in Christ. So if you think you don't have anything to give because you are young or young in the Lord, no, you do. The word of God stands. Wisdom of God is there. And kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is worth living out. So that was just my couple of things that I learned about Jesus on our journey. Thank you so much that we could go. Um, the eldership team that gave us the time to go. And I'm confronted and embarrassed about what I hold dear. <laughs> Back here in South Africa, it's, let's rather just move on. So this morning, Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32. Bibles, no? Yes? I'm not hearing them. Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32. Laney, you introduced Ephesians again for us last week. So when was it written? A.D. Anon Domina. 60, come on. It was written by Paul from a prison in Rome. This is what my study Bible says. The last three chapters explain the implications of God's grace for the church, for individuals, and for families. The second section comes to a climax with a command to stand with the armor of God against the devil. And Paul wrote this letter, probably in prison. Did you enjoy last week? Was it good? good to hear. So as I said, in Ephesians 4 verse 20, there's a verse that I don't think a lot of us have noticed. It says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Everybody ever thought about how do you learn Christ? You just become a Christian and then we assume that you will walk in the way that he, he asks you to walk in, don't we? And then we as Christians, for those that stumble and fall and don't walk in the perfect way like Christ did, we judge them. Even though Paul says here, it's like a continuous thing here. You learn Christ because he is the truth. The next verse says, assuming that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. Anybody here can testify of somebody that has walked a journey with you to teach you in the ways of Jesus. Makes it easier, doesn't it? Next question. Anybody here currently walking with somebody that you are teaching Jesus? Fewer hands. It's comfortable for us when we are taught how to walk in the Lord. But the burden comes. When you have to teach somebody else that they can learn Jesus. 
That word means to learn and to understand. It is the actual word that the Greeks use for instruction. I'm not going to try it. Nikki can explain it to you later. She's Greek. But it's the word that says to understand and know. And I felt this when I was looking at this, that you've heard us from this pulpit say that we will pursue the word of God in the spirit. So that we don't just end up with knowledge that puffs up, but with revelation that comes only by the spirit. You see, Paul, the writer of this book, knew about Jesus. But until the revelation came, his life was pretty much meaningless. So this morning, I'm hoping to go through some of the verses that'll take us on a journey to have a revelation about Jesus, that we have learned his ways. Is that okay? Forgive me if I'm a little bit clumsy this morning, still recovering from my journey. But I've got a couple of points. Excited? You want to know how many? Twelve. Let's do it. Come on. All right, so the first one is in verse 17. Listen to this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Isn't that society today? Hey, you look around you and you look at Okay, let's say we look at the people not in this fellowship. But that describes them. Hey, can we go one step further and say maybe it also describes some of us? Now, psychology, when you've studied it, will tell you that it is far more effective for you to speak to a child and tell him what to do, not what not to do. Have you heard that? Because already when you start with the don't do that, you put the mind to a negative space and whatever. But this... This, this man of God that walks in a revelation of Jesus Christ writes to us that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So in this portion that I have, I found six things what not to do. So I'm just going to pray now, Father, that as we read your word and we read the word what not to do and know and not do and don't do this, Father, that we will see it from the heart of the Father who wants to protect us and not rob us of something. That we as a congregation will read these things and see life in our lives as we apply what not to do because of your love that is in the statement, Father. So next time you have to, amen, next time you have to tell your child, don't do that, just say, I love you <laughs> and cover it with a love. But it says you must no longer walk in this, the futility of their minds. What does futility mean? Pointless. Utterly Pointless. So the first point I thought is the pointless pursuit of pleasure. That thing that drives you to pursue something despite logic. That's what he's talking about here. No longer pursue those things that can give you a moment of pleasure at the expense of the one who gives you an eternity of freedom. Verse 17, 
And you will be very happy to know that I've stuck to alliteration. The next one is also a P. Verse 26. I broke this up because we normally use these together. But the first one says, be angry and do not sin. How many of you feel guilty when you get angry? You condemn yourself. Ah, I shouldn't get angry. Paul writes here to us as his church and he says, you will get angry. Just be angry, but do not sin. I called this pick your response. It's okay to have emotions, guys. Can I just give you freedom in that? My wife preached such a wonderful message on, on, that, on that side. If you, it's, it's really worth a download. I, I just think she's amazing. She is my wife, after all. But um, I think it was really in God. But emotions are okay. Emotional responses, not so much. Respond. Don't react. So that's the pick your response. Don't react. P. Third one the continuation of that verse 26 that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is a difficult one if you're married. Let's just be vulnerable here, guys. Because, my goodness, sometimes it's so good to hold on to that. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you know you're right. Hey, am I alone in this? Come on, married couples, help me out here. Can't just stay and be exposed to you all by myself. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I said, peace. No grudges. You know that you can leave an argument unresolved, but deal with the emotions. Sometimes you're just not going to get things sorted out before one o'clock in the morning. But you can let the peace of Christ come that deals with the anger in the moment. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't mean you have to resolve everything perfectly. It just means you have to invite Christ back into the relationship. I wrote here, that's one thing that Frozen gave us. Hey, let it Just a side note, I really thought The Greatest Showman was going to win for best song. Did you guys watch it? Not even one award. But let it go won an award, please, for heaven's sake. Okay, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Still now, verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. I call this point protection of the relationship. You know what the enemy did in the first place? If you go and look at Adam and Eve, he brought his half-truths. And he caused division in Adam and Eve. And he caused separation between man and God. Do not give the enemy a foothold. In this congregation, in this fellowship, 
can we walk in the point where we can deal with our emotions, acknowledge them, but don't react in them? Can we go to the point where we make peace in the relationship without necessarily having resolution of the argument or disagreement so that there will be no place for the devil to come and bring division? Because his word is clear. Where there is unity, I will command my blessing. Point is protect the relationship. Do not let him bring confusion with half-truths that bring separation in the relationship. I live in a, in a very, oh, I grew up in a very dramatic family. It's, I, I, I saw my cousin uh, over the, the weekend. And um, she's much younger than I am. She's 28. I'm 40 this year, November. Let's make a note of that quickly. <coughs> and she said to me, oh, what are you talking about? And I realized she was quite sheltered from the drama that we grew up with. Oh, my goodness. But you know what that drama was always based on? It's half-truths. If I look at it now, this one believed this about that one, which was completely not true. It was just slight. Can we just get rid of having half-truths in our lives that bring this division in our relationships? Please, I implore you. I beg you. Number five. And this one, I think you can build an entire sermon around if you go and delve into the theology of what it means to not grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want you to crucify me because I'm going to reduce it so simplistically. I, I'm, I acknowledge that that statement holds so much truth and theology in it that it's worth pursuing. But this morning, I just want to say to us, to you and me, as a person who calls himself a Lombronian, part of this fellowship, Pursue the pleasure of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it's just a maybe it's a Johan thing, but I can tell you many times when I've done something, I know that the Spirit is not pleased with it. You have this feeling of ah, inside your heart and you question yourself and you you find yourself double-minded because this is what you want, but you know you shouldn't want it and then you... You pursue it, you know when the Holy Spirit is in you, whether something carries his pleasure and his approval, or it doesn't. Is it just a Johan thing? The next step that I found, it's easier for you to pursue the Spirit when you walk in accountable, honest relationships. When you can phone somebody up and say, you know what I believe? I need some help. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Give me another P perspective. And can you pray with me and for me? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Simple question. Does this bring the Holy Spirit pleasure and does it carry His approval? Point number six on the negative scale. 
Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. You know what clamor means? Loud protest. And slander. Be put away from you along with all malice. When I just started out in the bank, uh, I had this one colleague who would always say, oh, you're being malicious, you're being malicious, you're being malicious. And then one of the other colleagues said to him, hey, you know what malicious means? Do you guys know what malicious means? Intent to harm. We use this word like it's just a little throw away. No malice. How many times do you say something about somebody else because you really do want to bring their reputation harm? How many times do you find yourself saying something to somebody because you want them to feel as hurt as you are? It's just me. I must say, the church in India really gave me a lot of affirmation while I was preaching. Thank you, Maitri. I called this P. <laughs> Practice self-control. Is that all right? Practice self-control. So the first one, pointless pursuits of pleasure. Let's, let's pursue God. Second one, pick your response. Don't react. Have emotions, but don't respond emotionally. Third one, peace. Don't keep grudges. Let it go. Fourth one, protect the relationship. Fifth one, the pleasure of the Holy Spirit. The sixth one, practice self-control. Now, this morning during prayer meeting, Reuben says to the leadership team, Let's, what do you feel for this morning? Now I'm standing there thinking, I've, I've got a nice way to land this message with another six points. Here, Tabitha comes and Heath comes and they all come and bring the last couple of points of my message. And then Heath comes and shares what I felt to land with during worship. So now what do I do? I preach it again. My last six points I've called renewal in Christ. He doesn't glue you back together with pieces missing, like a cup that was made out of fine china. He makes you new. I felt prophetically for this morning that God wants to give new destinies and new purposes to people here. Not things that you thought that you were called for, but a part of your little teacup is missing. He wants to make you new. Maybe he wants to shape you into a teapot. Or a mug. Or a plate. The first one is verse 22. Put off your old self. Wants to make you into a new self. That means you have to forgive yourself. Get rid of the guilt that you're carrying. That is the biggest stumbling block when you speak to people. I know I'm forgiven. I know I've made peace. I've gone and given back what I've stolen. For example, 
but I cannot seem to forgive myself. The next point, renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 23. Somebody asked me recently, how do I do this? This particular person, I said, just read 1 Timothy. I'm reading it. I'm not getting anything from it. And maybe in the moment you're not getting something from it. But you know that in 1 Timothy, he says, do not let people look down on you because of your youth. Do not let them look down on you because of your past. Renew your mind. Do you have people in your life that remind you of the promises of God over your life? Now everybody says, yeah, we've got the elders of the church. It's not good enough. You need people that you can say, this is what God has spoken over me. Help me renew my mind constantly in this. I'm called a man of God. I'm called a, 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 a woman who's worth rubies and pearls. Renew your mind in the spirit. Number three in the renewal. Verse 24, it says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We've had many messages in this church about how to live a holy life. How we cannot pursue it in ourselves. How only only way to do it is in God. Yeah? We've had this. You are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. Let it sink in for a little bit. He didn't make you a little robot. He made you in his image, which is to be celebrated. He sings over you with dancing. He rejoices over you. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you my beloved. In his likeness. Point number four under renewal, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Mm. The truth. The truth brings freedom. I've seen lives transformed because people choose to walk in truth. All of a sudden, languages change because of truth. I do want to say this truth must be linked with truth in love. We had that in India too. They call it background music while you're preaching. I promise you, the entire sermon, somebody was playing music on their phone. It's crazy. Speak the truth. Some of us will go and say, I will speak the truth. Lainey, I dislike you a lot. I, I actually like Lainey, guys. Let's just put that out there. But now I've been truthful. 
But you know, you also have to be true to what God has called you to in the Bible, which is love one another. But we want to walk with this unflinching thing. I'm the truth. I've lived this thing. I always say, I bring the truth, Molly's brings the love. I've been careless and I haven't lived in the fullness of what is true in Christ. Love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. But can we just be truthful with one another? This would mean, church, if I ask you how you are, that you can to a degree tell me, not great, but in Christ I will be. <laughs> you look at someone and <laughs> How are you? <laughs> they can't even get the words out. We are not stupid people. We know you're not fine. Give us the open door. We will walk through it with you. But you keep these boundaries up and these walls up. He's made you new. If you're not okay, it doesn't mean you are not worth anything. It just means bad things happen. Number five under renewal. first thought I'll target this point at anybody below the age of 30, but I think we all need to hear this. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I've got a dear friend who took me to task on this point the other day and said to me, when you constantly backbite like that, I don't know what you're building other than a pack of wolves that will eventually completely consume you. It wasn't said in a lot of love, but it was true. It's so easy to make somebody the butt of the joke. It's so easy to be witty and sarcastic and, and funny at the expense of another. It corrupts who that person is before Christ. Makes them less than what they are in Him. A new creation. A beautiful son and a beautiful daughter. And you cut them down like they sugarcane. Listen to this, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion. Guys, I'm not asking you to now walk in this when we are, all, oh yeah, you are so blessed, you are so amazing, you are so great, you are beautiful. You, you are a man of God. You, you are incredible. And then you, oh, you are a fantastic cook. I can, uh, you are this, you, no guys, what fits the occasion? It is good for us to acknowledge our musos that have pursued the Holy Spirit on our behalf so that we could have a worship session like this morning. It fits the occasion. Does it make sense? Point number six under renewal. <clears throat> Be kind to one another. <laughs> Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. 
Kindness is a rare commodity nowadays, isn't it? Kindness isn't just when you give something that somebody needs, guys. Kindness is an attitude towards people. You know how important kindness is for God? He says in the Bible that it is His kindness that leads us to repentance. You have a family member that you're struggling with to get to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Shower them with kindness. Kindness is not telling people when they know that they have done something wrong, that they have done something wrong. I am married, so that's probably the best example I can give. But when Marlise took our new Honda Civic, when we just got married, <coughs> and tried to reverse it out of our narrow little gateway to come and fetch me after work, and scratched it along the side. <laughs> I don't know who, but back in the 2000s, that was like the Civic VTEC. It was the car that everybody in Ranfontein wanted. <laughs> and we sacrificed a lot. She came to me and she, as I got out of the car, she just burst into tears. She's like, I scratched the car. And it dawned on me. I didn't have to tell her she scratched the car. She knew it. But we want to tell everybody that you're going to hell, man, because you don't have Jesus. I'm asking you, before you had Jesus, did you not know that something was missing? Did you not know that the journey that you were on and the lifestyle that you chose would eventually lead to decay? Maybe we should rather show the kindness of Jesus to people and, and condemn them a little less with our words. Eh? I hope this has helped you to learn Jesus Christ a little bit more. Six points of what not to do and six points of what to do. I think we end up with a neutral position. If my maths don't fail me, minus six plus six. Hey, Shante? Engineers tell me yes. I'm not wanting you to end to this morning in a neutral place. I want you to end in a place where you know in yourself you have a deficit. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot walk a step in the what nots to do without Jesus Christ. You cannot walk a step in the what to do's without Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something that I mentioned specifically this morning. That you need to come and repent before God. You need to say, sorry, God, my tongue is, is my worst. Maybe I should show more kindness to the people that I've just tried to condemn. Yeah?
Can I ask you guys to stand? The first step to being renewed in Christ is accepting Him as Lord and Savior and Master, surrendering control to the one who is worthy. That's step one. I ask you this morning to start saying thank you if you've already done that. For a moment. Lord, thank you that you have translated me from darkness to light. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come and you have redeemed my life. Lord, thank you that in you I'm a new creation. Can you confess that over your own life this morning? Just confess it. Lord, I'm a new creation. I'm not plastered together with sticky tape and with bostic and with super glue and with press stick. I am put together, recreated, renewed by the creator of the universe. You need to hear that. Say it out loud so that, so that you can declare it over your own life. Renew your mind in that way. <clears throat> Father, I ask you that as we confess this, that you will make us courageous sons and daughters who can walk with our heads held high in the purpose and the destiny that you have for us, Lord. New creations here, Lord. I'm going to ask you to go one step further and say, Father, help me to introduce somebody else to you so that they can become a new creation. It's not as difficult as you think it is. It's living with kindness, and they will see, I want to be this creation. Father, help us as a community to be renewals. Conduits of your love. I'm going to ask you to be one, one little step more vulnerable with God. Not before me, before God. And say, Lord, I need you in my life. Possibly to help me with my pointless pursuit of pleasure. Father, help me to pick my responses. Father, help me to guard the peace. Father, help me to protect my relationship with you and with others. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me to pursue your pleasure and your approval and not man's. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me to practice self-control. One step of vulnerability before the King of Kings this morning. You, you can fool me. You can do whatever you want to before me. But you're not standing before me now. You're standing before the one who made you new. Who is saying to you like I'm saying to you now, I want to help you. Will you trust me?
just where you are. I've got to have faith that God's word is living and active. That when it is preached here on a Sunday, there's a purpose to it. And I'm asking you to pursue that purpose for this word for you this morning. Between you and him. Hear him speak his affirmations over you now. You are my desire. You are my beloved. I want to make you new in all areas. I rejoice over you. I pursue you. I call you by name. Before the creation of the world, you were on my mind. I created you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made to me. I've sacrificed myself so that you can have life and life eternal. I have given you everything in abundance. I know the path and the journey I have for you. A future and hope in that future. 